0: All right, so we're going to start Mark chapter 6 verse 1. Jesus went out from there and he came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, "Where did this man get these things? And with and what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as performed by his hands. It's not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are we not his sisters, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives in his own household. And he could not do many miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief And he was going around the villages teaching. Verse seven, and he summoned the 12 and began to send them out into pairs and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should not take for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off of the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And that's about as far as we're going to get in Mark tonight. So Jesus is in Nazareth and he's teaching in the synagogues, doing what? He does best um, stumping the Pharisees, you know, bringing the word of God, bringing the kingdom or knowledge of the kingdom to the people that are there, even though they couldn't really comprehend what he was saying. And everybody was astonished at the teachings that he was doing, not only at the teachings, but also at the fact that there was many miracles being done and unbelief started to rise up in a lot of the people there because As they says, that's not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James. Don't don't we know this guy? Like he was born here. He was raised here. It's pretty much he's just a man like anybody else, you know. And so unbelief came. And when unbelief came, Jesus said or it says that he wondered at their unbelief. That's why he said a prophet is without honor except in his own hometown. Now. There's good reason for that. Jesus is is our model. He's our example. If we're going to be Christ-like and we're going to be Christians, so on and so forth. When you go home. People are going to look at what you do. They, They only know you one way. And that's the way that you were before you got to know God and to become known by God. And so I think it's a really good example of the fact that. When we do leave this place or we leave the church, the church is now your family. You understand that, right? Your physical family is your family. But in reality, that's a temporary thing. You have an eternal family if you're a Christian. So you're my brother. You're my brother. You're my brother. This is my sister. So on and so forth. And even Jesus says that later on in the text. But your physical family here only knows who you were before you got here. They don't know who you are when you leave here. And so the same thing is going to kind of happen. They're not really going to believe what you say. Notice that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and the things that he was saying sounded really good. Everybody was amazed at what he was saying. But then when he started doing things, unbelief came because, well, you know, wasn't... James, just an addict and a thief. And and then he just steal from his mom and and use and all this stuff. And so unbelief rose up. But Jesus didn't have any business to do with the unbelief. He actually wandered at it. Like, do you not believe that I'm something new, that I, that I'm a, I'm a new being? And that's going to happen when, when you leave here. People are going to question whether or not you're actually genuine about what you do. Not so much about what you say, because everything you read out of the Bible sounds good if you say it. You know what I'm saying? But when you step outside of what you know and hear, a lot of people are not going to have a whole lot of trust in you. Your wife, your kids, because we've made a path of destruction along the way. And so now you're coming into something brand new. Old things have passed away. All things become new. They only become new to you. Everybody else is still going to question you and they're still going to look at you a certain way and they're still going to wonder if this is really genuine or not. So they will have unbelief about who you are as a Christian. And I think it's important that Jesus and the Holy Spirit added this into the text because it's important for us to realize that when we go home. People are going to look at you the way that they used to look at you until you prove otherwise. Now, Jesus didn't hang around there. He actually left that spot. It says he didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. When you partner with somebody's statement about who you are. Unbelief will rise up in you about who you are. Now, Jesus was completely different. He, he already knew what the goal was. Us, we're kind of like we're we're. We're trying to step back into into being role models and stuff. And and that's hard because nobody, I mean, think about it. You've lied to every single person that you knew before you got here. And about your first one or two weeks, you lied to everybody that was in here. Amen? So they ain't going to believe anything that we have to say. They're going to believe because of what we do and how we walk. Now, what I really want to look at, though, is between seven and like 13. And there's a reason why we can't really move any further than 13, because there's a lot of stuff right here that we got to unpack. This is a, a, what is Gavin called a teaching <coughs> moment. So it says that he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over clean spirits. So he took 12 people, and he made six small groups out of 12 people He said, I give you authority over unclean spirits. Okay? So they got an accountability partner. They got somebody else that they can go to war with. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except the mere staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. Then he said, Don't even put on two tunics. So Jesus is actually setting them up. Because in essence, he's saying, I want you to go out there with nothing. I want you to go out there and fully depend on me and the father for everything it is that you're doing. You ain't got no money. You can't buy no food. He said, don't take any money. That's the the main need of a human being is food. And he took away. He told him, leave all of that behind and depend on me for the things that you need. So he left them in a vulnerable position. But you know, us being a Western society and culture, our dependency comes on from McDonald's and the job that we have, right? So it's a lot harder to depend on God for things that you can actually work for without really, you know, taking full advantage of the fact that He offers everything to us. You know. We got cell phones. You can call Uber Eats. You ain't even got a drive. They'll bring it to you. So our dependency on him is lessened when we have things that are beneficial to our needs, which is why we store up groceries. Why do you go to the grocery store every time you get paid and spend $100, $200? Because you know this week you're going to get hungry. And you actually buy extra. So within a month or two, Maybe you cannot go to the grocery store and you can keep that money. It's self-preservation. But Jesus actually sent them out vulnerable and, and made it so they were fully dependent on the kingdom. But then he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. So not only are they vulnerable, but now they have to depend on other people to allow them to stay somewhere and get shelter. So any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. (laughs) They went out and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil sick people and healing them. (laughs) The portion that we want to look at is the fact that God gave these men authority. And I didn't want to talk about it a whole lot earlier because Brandon got on this bandwagon about, you know, he read something in a book that I gave him and he's, he's all like, and, I'm, and I didn't want to go there because I knew where we were going tonight. I didn't want to give him a whole lot of, you know, because I knew it was coming. And it's beneficial for everybody to realize that we have authority, right? And so that's what I want to talk about. But in order to talk about authority, we have to go back to Genesis. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we can always come back to Mark and and look at it. But in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, right? This is is the whole reason why everything is the way it is. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Actually, I mean... I might as well read the whole thing because it's important. I can't just pick and choose 20 before, 20 after. It's a good rule. So now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree or the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your own face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out of the east gate of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So right here, we got a whole lot. And I know immediately it really doesn't sound like it pertains to anything as far as authority goes, but it has a whole lot to do with authority. Right. So God created man out of dirt. He didn't create the woman first. He created the man. He formed him out of the dirt, breathed his spirit into him. The spirit actually is what activated the dirt. And then conscience was right. So we're spirit beings. We have a conscience or soul. And then you have a body. And God said, from the dust, you came and the dust, you shall return. Right. But before that, we used to enjoy walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. That was our go to. That was the thing that we did. Me and him, you and him. That was that was it. Everything God had made was good. From the beginning, everything was good. But what happened is in chapter two, he tells us that he gave us dominion over everything. We were to cultivate the garden. We were to work and and labor and then rest. That was the only two things that we really had to do. We had to work for a little while and rest. During our resting time, we would walk with the Lord. But something happened when you have dominion, that means you have authority over the things in your domain, in your region, in your area. And so the authority that we had then was stripped from us when the woman fell. And there's a couple of things that we kind of need to look at because God actually cursed the serpent. That was the first thing he had ever cursed was the serpent. So when you go down in verse 14, it says the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. You will eat dust the rest of the days of your life. But then what happened is he didn't get to Adam just yet. He went ahead and and dealt with Eve. And he told Eve, I will greatly multiply your, cha- your pain and childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. And your husband will rule over you. From the beginning, we were supposed to rule over her because we were first. He gave us her as a companion. Now, check this out. This is how it works. God spoke to Adam on a regular basis. It doesn't say that Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. It says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. So it was a man's position to stand between his wife and God. Everything that God told him, because he had authority and and dominion over everything, he was supposed to take what God had spoken to him and then turn around and give it to her. Now, she cannot deny That Adam didn't tell her that because it clearly says that the the serpent asked the woman. And she said, yeah, he said, if you you even touch the fruit, if you eat of the fruit or touch it. So she knew. So Adam had relayed the message to her about not eating the trees. Don't eat this tree. Everything else is good. So God gave us authority and dominion over everything on the earth, including Eve. So then it was our job to turn around and give that to her. She had a position of authority, too, because they were joined as one flesh. She had the same authority that I had over all of the things on the earth. And what had happened was when the snake came, she was deceived before she ate the fruit. She was already fallen. Right. She had fallen in her mind. She was deceived before she even ate the thing. And you can look at it and read it and. (sighs) <sighs> when the woman saw all right here we go the serpent said to the woman surely you will not die because god knows that the day that you eat from it your eyes will be open and you will be like god when the woman saw that the tree was for good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes then it was desirable but before that that's not where she fell The serpent was more crafty. Indeed, God has said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it. God said never eat it. He didn't say anything about touching it. So that's the place in where she was deceived because the enemy came in and made her question what God really said. When she went against the word of God, the fall came. It was at that moment that she fell. It wasn't when she ate it. She had already fell because anytime you go against the word of God, you're moving in disobedience and you're saying that, you know, more than he knows. And so when you do that, you can expect some things to happen, (laughs) But he cursed the snake. And then he told the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. But then he said to Adam, in verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So one man's disobedience Just destroyed the whole earth. The reason that we have hurricanes and we have tornadoes and we have lightning and we have all these things is because because of us, the ground is cursed. The reason why we don't have a full harvest every year in the fields is because the ground is cursed. Everywhere that you walk on is cursed. Because God no longer has authority over where we live. Which is what makes Mark chapter six so valuable because he restored all that. When Jesus went to the cross and took back the keys of life and death, he then gave it to us and said, here you go. Everything's back the way that it should be. So now you have dominion over all of the things on the earth. You have dominion over all the animals, all the birds, your wife, your kids, situations that come at you. You have that authority to make things happen. But the issue is a lot of times. We're. We're a little standoffish about other people in authority, not realizing that we actually have the same authority. Because God is not partial. He doesn't show partiality. The same things he does for me, he does for Brandon. The same thing he does for Brandon, he does for Hunter. He does it for everybody because out of his goodness, he gives abundance to those who love him. And so now it's a matter of realizing that we have this authority. But you can't have authority in disobedience because you're working out of the flesh in the disobedience where authority comes from the spirit. So I'm going to look at Genesis chapter nine. You know, because God didn't God did not put a curse on Adam. He actually put it on the ground when reality. He probably should have cursed us. But he knows the bigger picture. He knows what he's got to do to redeem the world or reconcile the world back to himself. So he said, you know what? The woman's going to hurt. She's going to hurt in childbirth. The serpent's cursed. The woman's going to hurt. I'm going to let you slide. You're just going to have to work and sweat, but we're going to curse the ground. So that way, now you have to work more. You have to labor harder for what it is that you need to survive. But in Genesis chapter 9, 20 20 through 27, it provides a clue for us to why God actually cursed the ground and he didn't curse Adam, right? So chapter 9, 20 through 27 tells us that Noah made and drank wine, right? And he got drunk. He got hammered. He did. He overheated, he took his clothes off, and he fell asleep in the tent butt naked. It's great, right? Great story. (laughs) But Noah's son, Ham, the father of Canaan, regarded the sight of his drunken father as an object of ridicule and told his brothers. And they reverently averted their eyes, and then they took some blankets and stuff, and they covered Noah's naked body up. But when Noah actually discovered what had happened, he didn't curse Ham. Even though Ham's the one that saw him butt naked, he didn't curse Ham. Who did he curse? His son. The one that was innocent. The one that had nothing to do with it. So the principle here is that a wicked son reflects a poor father who has failed to provide the appropriate discipline. Let me say it again, Levi. All right. The principle is that the wicked son reflects a poor father who has failed to provide the appropriate discipline. We don't like discipline. Nobody likes getting hit with the belt or a flip flop. my, My mom used to hit me with whatever. Back of her hand, yeah, spoon, ruler, whatever she had. You don't like discipline. But discipline is actually good in the long run. And the other thing is, when you look at this story, Ham was the father of Canaan. Canaan was innocent. He had no blame whatsoever. But God decided that rather than, you know, the other two that he told, I mean, they were equally as guilty because, you know, he's gossiping and they listen and then, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. But, he didn't actually curse Ham the father, he cursed the son. And that's a reflection of Jesus, because Jesus, the innocent lamb, became a curse for us. He, he took on the curse on himself so that we would become the righteousness of God. So even in the beginning in, in Genesis, you can see God's plan unfold early in the book. The principles found in 1 Kings 11, 11 through 12, where God defers the punishment for Solomon because it, it would reflect on his father, David. So over and over, there's this little there's this little thing that goes on where the son is is the one that actually takes the blame for a lot of stuff. And, you know, I like types and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's the only way I'll read the Old Testament. And this is a good picture of it, you know. He took the curse on for us. Read Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is all about, you know, taking on religious. I mean, it's the whole book of Galatians is all about that. (laughs) But in Adam's case, his father was God. And in a real sense, the ground was actually his mother. Right. So he cursed the snake. And then he put the woman in pain. But that wasn't good enough. That was his wife. That wasn't his mother. God was his father and the dirt was actually his mother. And so what he did was he cursed the dirt. Adam was created in perfection and destined to live forever. But only God is immortal. And while Adam was destined to live forever, there was no specific location that he was actually supposed to be at and live forever. And so. To point everything to Adam, Adam was perfect he, he was created perfect. Think about it he, he was born perfection animals every animal that came across he had a name he didn't have to learn anything. he already knew he knew how he knew language, he knew what to call them, how to call him, how to work, he knew everything. It never says that God had to teach him stuff. He was already perfect. And then the fall came. And so to this day, every descendant of Adam has to die. Which means that prior to the fall, we had the potential to live forever. Which is why we got taken out of the garden. Because the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why did God put two trees there? Because he was hoping that we would eat from the one that brought eternal life while we were still perfect perfect but the reality is we ate from the one that brought death and once we ate from the one that brought death we had an opportunity to eat from the one that had eternal life but we would have been eternally damned so he had to separate us from the garden so we wouldn't also eat from this tree and be eternally in hell but the whole time his hope was that we would eat from any tree you can eat from but this one so that means we had the opportunity to eat from the one that was actually good And we could have bypassed all of this. So we gave up our authority a long time ago. And through one man's disobedience, the rest of the world has just been turned upside down. And so when we talk about authority, we have to look at it from that standpoint. Before we got to know or be known by God, we still had no authority. But now that we're in him, we're seated in him in heavenly places, we have the authority now. Well, what good is authority if you don't know what you have authority over? What is authority? What is it for? How do I use it? You know, those are some things that we have to get into. It's good to know that you're a child of God, but there's a lot more to being a child of God than just saying, hey, I'm a child of God. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad you understand that you're a child of God. But what does that consist of? And so. Authority. There's only one authority, and that's God. And when I say God, I mean, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit, because all three are the same. Right. So a solid understanding of our spiritual authority is vital to us being effective Christians, right? The issue comes in when Jesus says, cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the leper. Because now it's like, ho, 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 what are you saying? I thought that was your job. I I thought I would pray for him and you would get him straight. Right. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us something completely different. Especially when you go and read Mark chapter six, it says that he took 12, he made two groups and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He didn't say pray in my name and I'll heal them. Pray in my name and I'll cast him out. No, he gave them the authority to do so. And that's what they did. I don't imagine that they were going and, you know, in Jesus name. Be healed. Jesus is still alive. What good is that going to do? What, I mean, really, what good is that going to do? If you're if you're trying to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, well, the Holy Spirit ain't came yet. So what are you what are you doing? The man's still alive. But Jesus told us to cast out demons, Mark 13, 34, for the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to the servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So in Mark 13, we're, we ain't in 13, I understand that, but the son of man is a man taking a journey, right? Just, just picture this. This is Jesus saying, but... Imagine you had a house sitter, right? Somebody was just going to stay at your house. <clears throat> you were leaving, you were going to South Beach, you're going to hang out for a week. You say, Look, y'all are going to just take care of my house. When I do that, I leave you in control of my house. What happens at my house is based on what you want to do. Either you want to take care of it, clean it, do whatever. Or you want to throw a huge party, wreck it, and then when I come home, you know, it's, it's jumping. We got, we got action. <laughs> but he says it's, it's like a man taking a far journey who left his house, but he gave the authority to his servants. Authority doesn't beg. Authority doesn't ask. Authority actually commands things. Think of a general a general is not going to ask you to run six laps he's going to tell you today we're going to run six laps question him if you want to and you'll run twelve and then you'll run 12 tomorrow then you'll run twelve the next day because he's in a position to tell you what to do so we don't beg God to do things we don't in reality we don't even we don't ask Because we have the authority to do such. He gave us the authority to command and cast out demons. And we're not told to ask him. And Matthew 8, 8 and 9 and number 13, the centurion. We all know this story. And he answered and said to the Lord, I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof, but only speak the word. And my servant shall be healed for I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes into another come, and he comes into my servant, do this. And he does it. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and believe. So it is done to you. And his servant was healed in the same hour. And then later on, it says he's never seen such great faith as this great faith comes from realizing that you have authority in God to take control of anything that comes your way. It's exercised through the spoken word of God. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So Jesus had his own authority. One thing that he made clear was that He was the son of God, right? But he exercised authority over things that were oppressing people. So he had a higher authority over him while he was walking on the earth. Even though Jesus was fully God, he walked as a man on the planet. He didn't consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself as a servant. So even though he was God, 100% God, he did everything as 100% man and right standing with the Father and full of the Holy Spirit without measure. So he cast out demons in Mark 127 and they were all amazed insomuch as they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. So Jesus had his own authority. Matthew 8, 16. When the evening came, it came unto him that many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word. It doesn't say he bopped somebody on the head and they fell out and the demons came out. That's cool and everything. I'm with that. That's a whole different story. But it said that he spoke a word and the demons fled. That's a big difference than you know, me laying my hands on you and said, be healed in Jesus name. Jesus has been given authority over everything in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. We have authority to heal people. Notice I didn't say we have authority to pray for healing people. Jesus said to heal the sick in Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. Freely you were given, freely you give. And I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't tell us to pray or ask God to heal the sick, but he told us to heal the sick. It's not that God doesn't want to do these things. He does want us to be codependent with him. But when you hit a certain maturity in the Christian walk, you have to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Honestly, I've never seen where Jesus prayed, Father, please heal them in the Bible. I've never seen it. I've never seen Jesus ask the Father to heal this person. I can't remember a verse in any of the Gospels that says that. It says that, and he healed them. He had, like I said, he had an authority over him, but the authority was given to him. And through that authority that was given to him, he healed them. He didn't ask the father to do it. He just did it. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. But such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Raise up and walk. That wasn't a prayer. That was a command. He commanded the man in the name of Jesus to walk. Because they understood the authority that they had. Brandon said earlier he wanted to be like Peter because Peter's shadow healed people. And that's cool and everything. But really, the authority above Peter is the one that actually healed them. The light up here from the Father reflected his shadow. And that's what healed the people. It wasn't the shadow. The shadow had nothing to do with it. It was the one that was over top of him shining the light and putting the shadow out there. So do you want to be like Peter or you just want to be like Brandon? Because God is impartial. He'll do the same things for you that he did for Peter. But it's hard for us to, to, to like get into that motion because, mm-hmm. oh, woe is me. I'm an ugly sinner and this and that. Like the mindset's got to be right. Your, your mindset has to be correct. If signs and wonders aren't following you, it's because you're not looking for signs and wonders. Most of us are allergic to those things. We have an allergy to healings and an allergy to signs and wonders because we think, oh, well, that was just for them. I'm, I'm nobody. But in reality, you are somebodies. If they ain't following you, then follow them for a little while till they do follow you. Somebody, somebody's getting some signs and wonders. Some people are experiencing miracles. People are getting healed. But if I'm not looking for those things, I'm never going to see it. Most people see the woods. Or either they see the tree. Do you look at the individual tree for what that tree is worth? Or do you look at the whole forest? Because if you look at the whole forest, you'll get overwhelmed. You need to focus on one thing. You want to see miracles? You want to see signs and wonders? Look for them. God's not going to rip the the freaking sky apart just for you because you're some special human being. He's not going to part all the galaxy so you can see something. No, it's going to be in something small and simple. It's going to be a word that somebody gives you. You're going to be praying about something and you need confirmation. And at the right time, God's going to send Hunter over here and say, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, I just prayed for that. That's a sign and a wonder. And on top of that, when you believe that that was confirmation, that's a miracle. Because now you're accepting that God actually spoke to you about something. (laughs) Authority is exercised when there is a right to exercise it. We have a right to exercise authority over the powers of darkness. I don't have to wait for, you know, somebody to come along and do this thing for me. I'm just as much of a Christian as the, the lowest man on the totem pole. Just because Benny Hinn's got this huge ministry, he is no better than I am. And I'm no better than the man that's homeless out here that loves Jesus. We're all the same. We all have the same authority. There's no, There's no hierarchy. He loves us all the same. And I think a lot of times... We put we lower our own self-value, which creates unbelief because we really have an issue with who we are. We're slaves in our own mind. Oh, I'm not good enough. Well, if you want to base it on good enough, nobody in the Old Testament was good enough. Noah was a drunk, passed out butt naked. His kids found him. David slept with some dude's old lady, sent him out on the front line, got him killed. Moses yeah, murder, Moses murdered an Egyptian. So you mean to tell me that those guys are better than me? No, God uses everybody and can use everybody. I've never murdered anybody, but that doesn't mean that I'm better than Moses or I'm better than David. We're actually on the same playing field. I mean, David was a king. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a king, but I'm a king in heaven. Amen. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a prince of the king, which makes me a king in reality. And so in, in those in those ways of thinking is when you actually get freedom. But then I also think in like Mark 16, 17 and 80 tells us that healing can come through the laying on of hands and the sign shall follow them that believe that they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I don't even have to say nothing. It it, It doesn't say in that verse that I have to say anything. It says that I just have to lay my hands on the sick because I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of through him and they will be healed. It doesn't say I had to pray to God or none of that. Mark 16, 17, these signs shall follow them that believe. The whole issue is belief. If you believe and you truly believe, all these things are possibilities. Because what we think is impossible for us is possible with God. And if God lives in me and works through me, anything that I ask for, he's willing to give it to me as long as I believe that I've already got it. That's why you know, says I'm not sick. I'm not catch I'm not catching the cold. I'm catching the healing. You got to speak those things over yourself because your mind will tell you that you're sick. Your body will tell you that you're sick. I actually I learned I learned something today and, and I think it's important because it really helped me to think about some stuff. Who knows what control is? What is control? It's a hard word to define, right? Why is it so hard to define what control is? Good. No, no. No, we're good. I, I'm asking. What I would is? Say control. Go ahead. I would say control is like the power to, or the choice, the power to Change something or okay. to make something work for your good. Alright. That's the word I was looking for. You yeah. know you know control is actually an imaginary thing. You have no control over anything, not even yourself. <coughs> even on your best day you cannot control yourself. Control, literally control, is a figment of your imagination. But the idea behind control is something that helps you stay straight. If you had no control whatsoever, how would that make you feel? You would be scared to death. (laughs) Fear would completely take you over because you're vulnerable. You're at the hands of other people. If you couldn't control anything, your finances, your family, nothing, you would be scared to death. But the Bible tells us one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control, not because I have control, but because he has control. So control is actually a real thing, but it's it's given to us. Because if I'm in control like I think I am, I'm going to screw it up every time. But because God loves me so much, he's given me authority and self-control and love and peace and, and all these things. He gives you all these things for free. He didn't give me the authority because, I, you know, I deserve it. He didn't give me grace because I deserve it. He gave me all these things so that I would realize how much he truly loves me. And then once I have this and I, and I have all of these things. You know, once I realize God does love me, that I am forgiven, that I am a child of God, that I am redeemed. The next thing I need to do is walk in that authority. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. I've told you all this before. The right hand is the blessing. The blessed side is the right side. Jesus is the father's right hand man. Jesus has the same authority as Father God has. And if I'm seated in him, I have the same authority that Jesus has. Not only that, but I have the same authority that the king has, the one that sits on the throne. That's my father. So authority is like a big thing for us because your mind can can allow you to give your authority away. You can be you can be considered powerless when you give other people the authority over you. Because when you woke up out of the bed, you were in a bad mood because somebody said something. You just gave them all of the authority over you for that day. And so the rest of your day is ruined. But if you realize who you are and you realize that you do have authority, even over your own self, your own emotions, your own feelings, you have authority over all of that. You, you don't have to be depressed. We choose to be depressed. You don't have to be miserable. You choose to be miserable. There's always an alternative, but it's which one am I going to choose today? Today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't say I might rejoice. It says I will rejoice. And that's there's some days I got to wake up and tell myself that. I got problems just as much as everybody else got problems. Don't think because I'll get up here and do this. I got it all together because I don't. I know you do. I know you know. We're all in this together. But once we get to a place where we know the authority that we have, then what we can do is essentially we can go back to Mark chapter 6 now. And I'll close with this. they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. People's healing very well could be determined by knowing if you have authority or not. People getting saved in your family could be determined by knowing that you have the authority to occupy the darkness and bring light and expel it. Because you, you've got it. It's just a matter of using it. If I tell you you got a million dollars in the bank, but I don't give you a debit card, how are you going to get the money? You, how do you? I mean, it's my bank account, though. It's not yours. It's my bank account. Now, if I give you a debit card and I give you the number to it, you can go get the money out, right? So do you want the bank account card? Do you want the million dollars? Do you want the eternal gifts and glory and stuff that God has for you in heaven? He's freely going to give you the things that you need. You have access to everything that the king has. So don't just stand back and say, well, I don't deserve that. You deserve all of it. You don't deserve a little bit of it. You deserve all of it, because now that you're in right relationship with God, He loves you like He loved Jesus. There's no longer a, a condemnation and all that. That's 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 old. But the, but it still all comes down to conditional? What's conditional? Yes. What's Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it comes, yeah, like you said, it comes down to obedience. I mean, do you really need a Mercedes Benz or do you really just need a car? <coughs> you can ask him for a car, I'll give you a car, but I want a Benz. Yeah. I want a 300i with full leather interior. Like, that's a selfish thing for me to ask, which is why I have to separate me and my needs. Notice, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna come to you about healing when if I need the healing. You don't need no healing. I, I think a good way to that is when you go out here when it says to go out with nothing, no money, no bread, no bag. Dependency. The humbling experience of it. Yeah. Go out with nothing. Humble yourselves, and I will give you the authority. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to answer what you're kind of asking. And, and then the other one I think about is seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the other stuff will be added to you. So in reality, I don't have to ask for a Benz. If he wants to give me a Benz, I'll give me one. Not everybody has to have a Benz. Not everybody has to have gold rings. But he gives me the stuff that I need. Because he loves me. He doesn't give it to me for any other reason, but because he loves me. Right? But a lot of times we try to relate to Father God or the Son or whatever, the way that we try to relate to our physical parents and you can't do that because your parents will let you down, have let you down, and will continue to let you down where God himself will not. Amen. That's, that's a barrier. You know, when I, when I sit back and I try to compare him to my real dad, I'm never going to get there because me and him got some issues down here that me and him shouldn't have. You know, so strongholds are, are big. Once you can start tearing them down and like I said, you really know who you are, You can move forward. And things are conditional. There are some things in here that are conditional. (coughs) Not everything is. But there are some things that are conditional. Like he did the blessings this morning. Deuteronomy 28. He did the blessings, but he didn't do the curses. There's some conditions there. One is obedience in Christ and one is, is disobedience. So which one you want to walk in? You want to walk in the blessings or you want to walk in the curses? you want to do, everybody wants the first half, but listen, there's another half to it. Right? So there's everything, not everything, but there's a lot of things that are conditional. I'm going to stick to the first, you know, one through 20 in Deuteronomy 28, and not really worry too much on the other ones. Because if I'm walking in obedience, I have nothing to worry about. Amen?